don't know if this is the uh, charge to the class or a rush party, it feels like. Uh, well, thank you so much for inviting me to give the charge to the class of 2016. Can everyone hear me? Okay? All right. Well, my selection for this honor certainly removes any doubt about your class's poor judgment. <laughs> Since you have such bad judgment, you're sure to make some bad decisions in the future that have worse consequences than just having to listen to a short, bad speech. So I thought it would be a good idea to talk to you today about some of the bad things you need to prepare for in the next few years. Okay? So think of this as the opposite of a commencement address. <laughs> Instead of telling you how the world is now yours for the taking, I want to warn you about what's to come in the early years of your practice and offer some suggestion for how to cope with all of that bad stuff. Now, I'm confident that you'll be able to handle the stress and demands of uh, life after law school because I know many of you, and I know that many of you have already overcome rejection, failure, and many other tough times to be where you are today. Let's take Mr. Kelson, for instance. <laughs> He didn't let the fact that his application to Dancing with the Stars was rejected <laughs> get him down. The fact that he can't dance with Karina Smirnoff or Whitney Carson. Instead, he made the best of it and he danced his way to the top of the class. Good for you, Kelson. Good for you. Mr. Duvall didn't cry when his application to be Bat Boy for the Washington Nationals was rejected. It's hard to even see who I'm roasting here. There he is, right there. Instead, he went to law school where he gets to pretend he's Bryce Harper on the softball field. Mr. Meggs, is he here? Oh, man. Well, Mr. Meggs, he didn't let marriage or a baby get in his way. He left them in California and came to law school. Where he's sleeping quite well right? and, and changing no diapers. I'm sure, I'm sure that's been very hard for Mr. Meggs. He's probably sleeping right now. Right, so. Mr. Oliver. Now, as all of you know, Mr. Oliver has had to deal with rejections in matters of romance. <laughs> on an almost daily basis. Keep the faith, Mr. Oliver. When you are 74 and the governor of Alabama, your romantic luck will change. <laughs> At least I think that's the message we should take from the latest Alabama governor scandal. Right? What you guys may not know is what really made Mr. Oliver tough was the rejection of his application to the University of Alabama. He sucked it up, he went to Auburn instead, and still made it into <laughs> still made it into a top law school. That's the definition of tough. Right? Now, speaking of tough, your class wasn't afraid to get tough with a professor. Uh, I recall Ms. Moore, Ms. Schrag, they certainly weren't afraid to put me in my place in class. But the toughest had to be Diefenbach. Is she here? <laughs> oh, there you are, right there. Uh, with that bat she would so ominously bring to class and put at her feet. 
Well played, Miss Diefenbach. I don't think I ever called on you when you had that bat with you. So, well done. Don't be fooled by the French heritage of some of your classmates. Uh, when I cold called Lameau and Deleduc, I expected a quick surrender. But they really put up quite a fight. They were very strong adversaries, very tough. I commend you. Right? I'm sure your class has some nice people too. I just can't think of any right now. Actually, is Miss Wallace here? Miss Wallace was pretty nice to me. Is Wallace here? Wallace was pretty nice. I think she was the only one. Uh, Mandelbaum and Serene were pretty nice too, I guess so. Uh, but that's it. I think those are pretty much the only nice people in your class. Apparently, everyone else in your class subscribes to the motto, nice guys finish last. That's okay, because you need to be tough for what's coming. So let's, let's talk about what's coming. What are you going to have to deal with in the next few years? And let's first talk about your future bosses. A few of you are going to have the good fortune of having a nice, considerate boss, but most of you won't. Uh, some of you are going to have the misfortune of working for the boss we call the screamer. The screamer screams at you when you make mistakes, when he makes mistakes, or when anything happens that he does not like. Uh, the screamer has anger management issues. He's not a good people manager. He thinks you will be, this is the serious part of the talk. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. Uh, the screamer thinks that you work better when you're scared. It's all sticks and no carrots when you work for the screamer. So how do you deal with the screamer if you have the misfortune of having the screamer boss? First, never say calm down to a screamer. Right? That will just make things worse. Okay? The key to recognize is that the screamer is not really mad at you. The screamer is just mad at life, and you just happen to be a part of his life. Okay? So the screamer goes through a lot of associates. Once you realize you work for a screamer, just request a transfer bear the pain for a little bit, the firm will know why you've asked for a transfer and won't think badly of you for making that request, okay? Until you get the transfer, you actually have an opportunity with the screamer. If you can get good reviews from the screamer, those reviews will carry lots of weights uh, with the rest of the firm because the screamer is so hard to please. So see it as an opportunity, okay? Now, some of you are going to work for a boss who I think is arguably worse than the screamer. That's the quiet sadist. <laughs> the quiet sadist enjoys giving associates impossible projects with impossible deadlines. Some of you may have already seen this as summer associates, although they usually hide the screamers and sadists during the summer program. Uh, the quiet sadist doesn't scream at you or insult you to your face. He just makes your life miserable by acting so reasonably while making unreasonable demands on you. Uh, you'll never get a good review from the quiet sadist, no matter how good your work product is. If you find yourself working for the quiet sadist, don't whine or moan. He enjoys seeing that. Okay? He thrives on your pain. Uh, but also, don't kill yourself to meet unreasonable demands. If you do, things will only get worse. You'll just take it up a notch. Okay? Your best approach is to have lunch with a partner you respect and trust and get his or her input on whether the expectations of the quiet sadist are reasonable. That'll give you a reality check and will give you a chance to get on advice on how to get out of that mess. Okay? Don't suffer in silence. That's a remedy for an early heart attack, so don't do that. 
Now, the relatively good news is that most of you will not be working for a screamer or a sadist. Most of you will be working for a boss who I call the sad workaholic. This is a partner who has no personal life and assumes that you have no personal life. All right? uh, ideally, the sad workaholics among you will get paired with the sad workaholic bosses. <laughs> I'm not going to name names here, but we all know who I'm thinking about. All right? <laughs> Fill in your own blanks, right? Now, if you're not yet a sad workaholic and don't want to become one, but you get assigned to a sad workaholic boss, that's not so bad. Because in my experiences, uh, the sad workaholic can be reasonable. He just wants the work done well by the deadline and can be reasoned with if his demands are unreasonable. The key is that you have to first show the sad workaholic that you don't mind working hard and that you can do good work. Right? If you do that, then the workaholic boss will be reasonable because he won't want to lose you from the team. Okay. Now here is the part, I'm sure you've all thought about those things already, but here's the part that many of you may not yet appreciate. The partners you work for will probably not be the worst part of your job. It's going to be the crazy senior associates who will probably be the bane of your first few years uh, in practice. Right? Do not hang out with crazy senior associates and don't take their advice. So you're saying, well, how do you know if a senior associate is crazy? There's no single clue, but here are a couple. If the associate has no friends at his or her own level and wants to hang out with first-year associates, that's a bad sign. Okay? Uh, if the associate went to Yale Law School and is now practicing law instead of teaching law, that's a bad sign. Okay? Um, your best bet will be just to hang out with other UVA alums during those first few years. Okay. Um, now let's talk about what the next five years holds for you in terms of your personal life. This part of the talk will be short <laughs> because the reality is that most of you will have no personal life to speak of over the next few years. You saw that one coming, right? Uh, ideally, you will be in a relationship with another lawyer so that you will not drive a normal person crazy. <laughs> So, for instance, Ms. Smith and Ms. Toyozaki, Mr. Toyozaki, <laughs> should get married this summer. I commend you to that, so that they can share each other's pain rather than inflict their pain on some innocent non-lawyers. I sure hope they're a couple, because if they're not, that this will just now get awkward. <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. All right. If they do that, then they will follow my lead. I, mar I married another young lawyer, and we shared the rent and occasionally had dinner together during the first few years of our marriage. <laughs> As you know, that's probably the best way to handle me in small doses. Anyway, uh, so marrying a lawyer is a good way of managing your family expectations, but it's also an excellent means of birth control. All right? So... Caught well. I won't spell out why. All right. If you're lucky enough to find a non-lawyer who can put up with you, please do not become the screamer spouse or the screamer parent. In all seriousness, remember how it feels to be the object of being of someone yelled at, the object of a yeller at work. 
don't make someone at home feel the same way, all right? So instead of yelling to relieve stress, find a stress-reducing hobby. Shoot something. You know? <laughs> Embrace your Second Amendment rights. <laughs> Buy a gun and start shooting targets or some non-human animal. All right? uh, or hit something, preferably a golf ball or a tennis ball or a person who consents to being hit. Okay? You know, boxing, mixed martial arts, something like that. Okay? Uh, in all seriousness, you do need a hobby. You don't want to be that sad workaholic, okay? Uh, here's a bit of advice that may be useful both for your personal life and your professional life. Don't be high maintenance. The world does not exist to meet your every whim and demand. Now, this advice has with it a paradox, and here's that paradox. Uh, if you are high maintenance, you won't realize you are high maintenance because you're so self-absorbed. <laughs> so we need a test to see if you are high maintenance. Here is my test. Have you ever visited a, a professor to review an A or A-plus exam? If so, I can guarantee you you are high maintenance. <laughs> All right? That's not the only test. I encourage you to come up with your own test. Uh, and really, Please, you're not the only one in the world. Think about the concerns of others, okay? Now, it's going to be hard not to bring the frustrations and stresses of your job home with you, but I have some advice on how to cope with the daily stressors and challenges that come with being a young lawyer, okay? Uh, first, employ what I call the Razorback Principle. When you're feeling down about your situation, just remember you are not a Razorback or God forbid, a blue devil. You could have gone to some other school like the University of Arkansas or Duke where students have lots of debt but a lot less opportunity. You could be working in a coal mine in West Virginia or on a pig farm in Arkansas doing much harder work for less pay. Uh, you know, when we're climbing society's ladder, we sometimes try so hard to get to that next rung that we forget how high we've already climbed. You're going to be working hard no doubt about that. Uh, and you're, you're not dismissing the hard work you're about to be doing, but you're going to be doing interesting work for a lot of money. Uh, please appreciate that things could be a lot worse. Okay? Uh, second, this is a real pet peeve of mine. Please reserve the phrase, I'm sorry, for situations when you are really sorry. The phrase, I'm sorry, is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, as my kids seem to think. Uh, for the phrase, I'm sorry, to mean something, you really should believe that you've done something wrong and plan to take some steps to do better in the future. And if you didn't do anything wrong, defend yourself. Don't say you're sorry just to placate the screamer. Uh, but if you did do something wrong, fix it, right? Fix it, move on, try to do better in the future. The best apology comes through future behavior, not words, or obsessing about what went wrong. And I've seen this in some of you, right? Just leave the mistake alone, do better in the future. Everybody will profit from that. Uh, third, if you want to be respected by partners and trusted uh, to have meetings with clients, for goodness sake, Please stop saying you know and like in every other sentence. Oh, my God. Uh, 
I realize it may be hard to take oratorical advice from someone who sounds like me. Is the word oratorical even a, is even a word? I think it is, right? But if you heed my advice, you'll thank me when you read the transcript of your first deposition. You will be quite embarrassed if your deposition transcript is covered in us, like, 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 and you knows. Believe me. But the, the, this advice uh, has implications well beyond depositions. The clarity and precision with which you speak is tremendously important to your professional advancement. So please, please try to clean up. Now, this isn't true for everybody in the room, but some of you need to clean it up, right? Um, a fourth recommendation for daily stress. This is a serious one. Um, all of these are serious. This one's a very serious, specific one. Set daily or weekly goals and give yourself rewards when you reach those goals. Go to a play, take a weekend trip to New Orleans, come back and see us here in Charlottesville whenever you finish a big assignment. If your job is just one never-ending assignment, your job is going to be unbearable, believe me. Right? Um, so these are some suggestions for dealing with daily hassles. But what about the really big mistakes, the kind that might cost you your job, right? Like running out of gas on the way to the courthouse on the last day to file a notice of removal from state court to federal court. I think my Civ Pro students know what I'm talking about. That almost cost me my job, right? You really need to recognize that bad luck is going to happen to you. But what looks like bad luck at first often turns out to be serendipity. The best thing that ever happened to me felt, at the time, like the worst thing. If you've been in my class, then you probably know that I'm talking about Grace and her betrayal of me. <laughs> but that betrayal led directly to my meeting the woman whom I did marry, who's a great lawyer, a great writer, my best friend, and the mother of our two great boys. You will all have your own graces. Mine took the form of an unfaithful redhead. <laughs> Not saying that all graces will be in the form of an unfaithful redhead. Although I think there is a higher than, you know, chance, uh, likelihood that redhead may be involved in the situation. But whatever. Your grace may take the form of the screamer boss who undercuts you, or maybe it will be that mistake in the brief that gets you fired, or maybe it will be that dream job that turns out to be a dud. Uh, you just have to embrace these bad outcomes and see them as new opportunities. Uh, getting a law degree may not help you find your wife, like it did me, but having a law degree means that you have the tools you need to work in government, in a law firm, in a for-profit company, a not-for-profit company, or start your own business, or even run for office if you're Mr. Oliver looking for love. All right? <laughs> Most importantly, I hope you will appreciate what an achievement finishing law school really is. Um, when I think of your class, the first thing that comes to mind is the story of the ugly duckling who becomes a beautiful swan. <laughs> and now that I say that out loud, I realize only the first half of that story really comes to mind. <laughs> really only applies here. But Now seriously, uh, many of you came into law school underestimating yourselves and wondering whether you fit in and whether you could do well here, and you did. 
often to your own surprise. Uh, in a show of uncharacteristic discretion, I will not reveal any names here, but I have distinct memories of a number of you visiting my office before finals in the first semester, and you were sincerely freaking out. I mean, you really thought that you were going to bomb your tests. Uh, but what happened? None of those people bombed their exams, and many of them, in fact, got very good grades on their exams. Right? I hope you will appreciate that finishing law school is a real achievement. You need to embrace that fact and have confidence in yourselves going forward. I have every confidence in you. Simply put, you would have to be colorblind not to see the brilliance and determination that your class possesses. So Mr. Neely may not be able to see your brilliance. Is Neely here? There he is. All right. So Mr. Neely may not be able to see your brilliance and determination since he claims to be colorblind, although I'm still skeptical of that claim, Neely. <laughs> but I can see your brilliance and determination. See, look at that. He's still determined to convince me. So things are going to be rough over the next few years, um, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You will you feel, we'll feel down, you'll feel stressed out, but you guys are going to be just fine over the next five years and long after that. I'm very confident of that. You're really an impressive group of people, uh, and I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity to give this talk to you. Good luck. <laughs>